Well, we have been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, you'll recall from the uh, last couple of weeks, we, we've talked about how it was years earlier that Paul came to this town, uh, a, very, uh, a very Greek town in, in Greece, and, uh, in, in, which is very different than Jerusalem. You know, in Jerusalem, it was monotheistic, one God, and it was uh, very, very conservative. And Paul, in his missionary journey, comes to Corinth, which is very, very Greek. And so it's a very, very permissive uh, environment culture. They have many gods, and the, the main god in Corinth was the, the god Aphrodite, which was the god of love and sex. And we talked about what that meant a few weeks ago. And so Paul shows up to this very, very pagan environment, and he just starts a Bible study. And as he, as he does this, more and more people begin to show up, and he's there about 18 months. A church is established, and then he hands the church off to another pastor who then takes it and continues on, and then Paul continues going on his missionary journey. A few years later, the church is continuing, but all of a sudden people within the church realize that things aren't the same. They're not just, something's not right, and uh, they feel like something's missing, and they begin to have questions, you know, are, are, are we doing things the right way? Should this be done in church? Is this really how we are, we're to live? And so they decide to send a delegation to Paul and find him halfway across the world, and they bring him a list of questions that they want him to answer. And so Paul listens to what's going on, he listens to their questions, and he listens to, he gets an update as to what's going on in the church. And here's what we're going to find, and you want to write this uh, down just by way of a reminder But Paul's purpose for writing this particular book is, first of all, to answer questions from the church. You want to write that down. And uh, there on your outline in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's going to say, now concerning the things about which you wrote. And so he's going to write and answer their questions, but he doesn't start doing that until chapter 7. Before they get there, before he gets there, we're going to find that the next reason for writing this book is to address problems in the church. You want to write that down. Paul's going to take the first six chapters and he's going to address problems within the church, things that are going on. There in your outline, when they show up, Paul begins this book by saying, now for some members of Chloe's household have told me about your arguments. So apparently there's lots of issues and we've been talking about that. We are in chapter three. Chapter three is still part of the problems part of uh, Paul's writing. So Um, We're going to look at that today. Now, let me also say that today and next week are very important. And if I get really passionate, there'll be a couple of times today where I'm going to have to really stick with my notes. And there's a few times I'm just going to have to come back and just like, like not let the feelings or emotions come out. So if you see that, then uh, just know I'll back it off at any time. But uh, this is very important because Calvary might not be your church home. This might not be the ultimate landing spot for you. But as you go and you search for a church home, Paul's going to give us today uh, his thoughts on what you do in church and what church is all about. That's going to be this week and next week. So uh, these are the things that we're going to need to know as as it relates to doing church and uh, maybe even finding a church home. We're going to pick it up in verse 5 of chapter 3. And uh, he says, what then is Apollos? Now, Apollos is going to be the second pastor. And what then is Paul? Paul started the church. Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Now, with your pen in hand, we're going to underline a few things as we travel through today. He says in verse 6, he says, I planted and Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. However, your Bible says that God was causing the growth. So then, verse 7, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. And like causes the growth. Now, when Paul says that he went there and he planted, 
as you, you read the story, you find that Paul spends 18 months there, and he's, he says, I was just planting. When he says planting, what is he talking about? Well, in Acts chapter 18, there on your outline, it says he settled there a year and six months, and I want you to underline teaching the word of God among them, teaching the word of God among them. So Paul's part was teaching God's word. I want you to write that down. That was his part. That was the the foundation that he laid. And so Paul says, I did my part. And when I did my part, I just taught the word to the people, taught God's word. Then God did his part. What was God's part? Well, God's part was to cause the growth, cause the growth. You want to write that down. Now, different translations will say it differently. My translation says causes the growth. If you have the old King James, I put it there in your outline. It says, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. And uh, you want to underline that. Now, the, the reason why I highlight that is when we think about growth, we might think in terms of spiritual growth. When, when he's talking about growth or increase here, he's not talking about spiritual growth. He's talking about numerical growth, numerical growth. That word in the original language, I won't try to pronounce it, but I put it on your outline, just means to enlarge. It doesn't mean to mature. So Paul was teaching the word, and God was bringing the people to the church. Paul's job was to teach the word. God's job was to make the church bigger. Now, as we've been going through this, remember that one of the things that we've highlighted each and every week is that at this part of the book, Paul is addressing problems that are taking place within the church. Some suggest that at this time, as Paul's writing this, one of their questions or one of the problems is that God is no longer giving the increase to their church. And uh, it appears that they, they are asking, how can we get some people to come to church? How can we make this thing grow? Is there a gimmick or a program that we can use to keep a crowd, to, you know, to get and keep a crowd? And uh, what, the other thing that we're going to find as we get into this today is that it's in this passage, and it's going to become very, very clear, that Paul is directing this to the pastors or to the church leadership, talking about how things should be done within the church. And what we find as we travel through is that Paul will say, I was there, I was teaching the word. As we go through 1 Corinthians, we're going to find that they've left that. They've left that. And uh, because they've left that, Paul's now taking the first six chapters to undo the problems that have now come about because they've left what Paul had done. So when we come to chapter 5, we're going to find that there's some people in the church and they are involved in what you and I would call gross immorality. Now, not gross in the sense that it's disgusting, but gross in the fact that it's just like a large-scale immorality. And they don't even want to talk about it anymore. They're just trying to be so accepting to everybody that they're not talking about these things. By the time we get to chapters 12 through 14, we're going to find that they've left the teaching of God's Word and they're into an experiential-type faith. And that's creating all kinds of problems that, that Paul's going to address. So they are asking, how do we make this thing grow? And Paul says, well, here's what happened. I did my part. I laid the foundation. I was teaching God's word. And God made the church grow. God made it grow. And then when I left, I handed it off to Apollos. He watered it. He kept it going. And as he kept it going, God continued to make the church grow. So the God was making it grow. Then we come to verse 8. Now, in verse 8, he says, now, he who plants... And he who waters are one. And I want you to underline are one, however your Bible says it. But each will receive his own reward. And I want you to underline reward according to his own labor, speaking of the pastors. For we are God's fellow workers. Now Paul's speaking about the pastors here, we're God's fellow workers. And you, underline you, 
are God's field, God's building. So again, Paul here is talking about growing the church. And as he does this, in verse 9, he says, for we, and he's just referenced Apollos and himself, and here's what we did. So here he's speaking to the pastors, and he says, we are God's fellow workers. And uh, so I want you to write this down, the we are the pastors. And depending on church structure, you could say elders, leadership, however, but we are the pastors. And he says, by the way, you know, we're one, we're one. Me and Apollos, we're one, we're not in any disagreement or anything like that, we're one. And uh, then he says, and the you here, we are God's fellow workers, but you are God's field, God's building. So that refers to the church, the church uh, body. We would say the, the congregations. So you want to write that down. So the idea here, he says, you're God's building. So Paul would say, I'm, I'm like the contract, or God's the contractor. I'm the subcontractor working for God, and uh, I'm, I'm helping to build this thing. But God has to make, make the church grow. So the, con- the context here is what church leaders do. Now, so far, let me just stop right here. Has that made sense to you? Okay, that's very important that this makes sense to you because if we miss this, we're going to miss the whole, whole uh, idea of what's being said here. And you'll see in a few moments why that's so important. So verse 11, he says, and for, for uh, or verse 10 rather, he says, now according to the grace of God, which is given to me, like a wise master builder, he says what he was doing was like a wise master builder. He said, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. He handed it off to Apollos and Apollos has handed it off to somebody else. And then he says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it, how he builds on it. And you want to make sure that you underline that word how. Every one of our Bibles has the word how, how he builds on it, regardless of your translation. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And you want to underline that, Jesus Christ. So here, as he's talking about growing the church, speaking to the pastors, and uh, we all underline the word how, um, as we get into this, this is going to be one of the most misunderstood chapters of the entire New Testament. So because of that, you might find me just really going slow and just making sure that we get this, because if we miss this, we're going to get into some very, very strange, strange teaching. So um, in verse 6, Paul says, you know, I as the pastor, I came there and I was planting, and we know from, from Acts that that meant that he was teaching God's word, that's what he did. And uh, he says, now Apollos, after I planted, Apollos watered. Apollos was the second pastor. And the result was God was growing what was taking place. In verse 9, he says, you know, we are God's fellow workers, again, referring to the, the pastors. And then he says, you are God's field, you're God's building. So he's referring to the congregation. And uh, in verse 10, he says, so I, as a, a very wise builder, I laid a foundation. He showed up and he started teaching God's word. And uh, in verse 11, we find that the foundation is none other than Jesus Christ. And so uh, write that down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Again, he's speaking to the pastor. He's speaking about church leadership and what they do. And uh, that's going to be the context. And and so building, building the church, working for God, Paul says, this is what I did. And apparently somebody's doing something else at this particular time that, that Paul writes this. But then Paul says, so if you're going to do this, he says, make, sh- make sure that you have to, or he says, be careful how you build. So I want you to write this down. Paul warns the pastor to be careful. Be careful how you build. And there I put the verse on your outline. It says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. 
Paul started the church. That was the foundation. Apollos came along. He watered it. God continued to grow. Another pastor is there. He's not doing what Paul did. And uh, Paul says, so you know, you can be careful how you do this. Just be careful how you build on this foundation. Now, although we all need to be very careful how we build into our lives, or how we build on our lives, this particular passage, Paul is writing to church leaders and, and to pastors. Now, later on in this book, Paul's going to deal with how you and I as individuals build our lives as far as laying the foundation there and, and building upon that. But here, he's talking about church leaders. So, Paul says to the pastor, you know, the foundation is Christ. Be careful how you build on that. I laid the foundation. And uh, I think most churches in our world today would agree that Jesus Christ is the foundation. Some have walked away from that, but uh, still most churches believe that Jesus is the, the foundation. The current pastor of Corinth would agree that Jesus is the foundation. And uh, yet, Although he believes that Jesus is the foundation, he's now doing things that are very different than what Paul did when Paul went there. And the result of that is that now they're entering into a time where they have so many troubles, so many challenges within the church problems, theological, moral, behavior, and all that, that Paul has to take the first six chapters and undo what's being done. And nobody is questioning that they're laying the same foundation, that the foundation is still Jesus Christ. So one of the things that we get from this is that there is a great freedom in how you choose as a pastor to build a church. There, there's great freedom. However, there's a warning that comes with that. You've got to be careful how you build the church. Um, now, uh, again, you know, the, the pastor is doing something very, very different. If you've been like, like me, I grew up in one church, and then um, our family changed several churches, and, and I grew up in one kind of uh, background, but by the time I was in Bible college or uh, Christian college, I was in an entirely, entirely different um, denomination. And so I went to a seminary in that denomination, and I've been able to pastor, and I've been able to be around a number of different types of uh, churches. And so there are different styles that I've noticed that, that people use to build a church. One church that I'm very familiar with in Ohio is a church where the pastor chose to build on causes. So one of the things that he did is that uh, every time there was an issue, be it abortion or legislation or something like that, he'd get on the radio and he'd say, we at this church, we are going to go and we are going to stand there and we are going to protest and we're going to show up at that abortion clinic and we're going to show up there at the, at the state capitol. And they'd rent 10 buses, load the buses up and bring everybody there, get on the news, and they'd advertise that in the town that, that they were from. And so they, they did that, that kind of, you know, that militant kind of church growth thing, and people would show up, and it really attracted a militant crowd. When you listen to their worship songs, there are things like, we are marching on and we're going to take it back, you know, it's just this fight type of worship thing. Now, the foundation is the same. If you were to look at their uh, theological statement, it would look very much like ours, but the how is very different. Many of you have heard of Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell is the, the great Baptist pastor who built Liberty University. And when Jerry went to Lynchburg, Virginia, one of the things that he did is he got on the radio, and every day he would have a five-minute devotional. 
and he'd be on the radio. And at the end of the devotional, he would do this. He'd say, now, I want you to know that today I'm going to be at such and such convalescent home. I'm going to be at such and such hospital. And I'm just going to be walking through praying for people. If you're driving by today and we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'd like you to just stop in. I just want to meet you. And Jerry said he made it his goal for 16 years to meet 100 people a day. And so people, he became somewhat of a celebrity and said, I got to meet this guy. So they'd pull into that convalescent home. I'm going by there today. And he would meet people. And, and it built the church. It's a little bit different than uh, how, how we do it, but it, you know, it works and, it, and it's fine. When I first went in the ministry, I pastored in a church in Ohio. And in that church, we built on big names. So we would bring in football stars like Rosie Greer. For those of you old enough to remember way back when, this is back when, uh, how many of you are old enough to remember Rosie Greer? Okay. And then we brought in Metal Ark Lemon from the Harlem Globe Trotters, And we would announce that out and people would come in. And then what we would do is we'd go through certain books like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or How to Win Friends and Influence People. And we'd take their points and we'd get their ver- uh, find a verse that goes with that. And we would teach that. So we built on that. Now, the foundation was still Christ, but it was a very, very different how. And then there's what's called the seeker movement. Now, the seeker movement, when you go to a seeker church, typically you're not going to see many people carry a Bible inside. And uh, the emphasis is going to be very much on performance and things of that nature. They will capitalize, you know, you'll show up and they'll typically start with a secular song and uh, they're going to capitalize on big days. You just know that every February, they're going to begin a teaching on relationships right around Valentine's Day. And they capitalize on things like that. And at the end of it, uh, they're all going to hold hands and they're all going to sing the Beatles song, you know, all we need is love. You know, all we need is love, love. But if you were to read their theological statement, you would say, well, it's, it's pretty much the same as ours. So the foundation is the same, but the how is very different. Now, for me, for me, um, when I was in seminary, I went to seminary because I, I, I was fascinated by the Bible. And I went to seminary and they taught us that you can do anything in church, but you just can't teach the Bible because nobody would really be interested in that. I was interested in it and that's why I went there. I'll never forget, I went to seminary in Indiana and I'm driving home from Chicago and I'm coming around Indianapolis at this time. I'm flipping through the stations, had radios with stations back then and so I was flipping through and, and there was a guy on, on the radio, and he was reading the Bible, and then he'd stop and he'd explain it. I never had a snowy day, it was gray outside, and I, I come around Indianapolis, and I'm heading back to Anderson where I was going to school, and all of a sudden I'm getting too far away from the radio station, and I want to hear what the guy has to say, because I've never heard anybody read the Bible and explain what it means. So I pulled into this mall, and I sat there until the, until the show was over, and I just thought, wow, I just learned so much. And I said, Lord, you know, I have no intentions of ever going in the ministry, ever. I'm just not pastor material. And I said, but if I ever did, I would, I would have to teach, I'd have to do that. I'd have to read it and explain it. Well, it wasn't until 1994 that I, I showed up for the first time at a, at a Calvary Chapel. And so for the first time in my life, even though I'd been in a number of different church backgrounds, it was the first time where the pastor said, as, as uh, he began, he says, if you made it in today without Bible in hand, please raise your hand, let us bring a Bible to you. I'd never heard of such a thing. And uh, so they brought Bibles out, and I always carried my Bible with me, so I opened my Bible and said, turn to this place. And he went through a chapter of the Bible. I get emotional thinking about it. But he went through a chapter of the Bible. And he just said, now underline this and write this and here's what this means. And I thought when it was all over, I thought, I just learned more about the Bible than I learned in the past five years. And and it just, it did something inside of me. And I knew, and God spoke to me, says, this is what you are to do. And so that's that's what we do. That's what we do. We teach the Bible. Now, um, 
when we do that, you know, um, so when you come here to Calvary, we might change a lot of different things, but one thing that will never change is we always go back to the Bible, by and large, and we go through the Bible. And uh, we, you know, we just, we realize that, that this isn't everybody's cup of tea, but this is what God's called us to do. And so we're not hostile to anybody else. But here in, as many of you know, at our house, we have 11 kids at home. We have 12 all total, but 11 kids at home. Can you imagine, you know, it's very popular in church culture today to say, what do the people want? And then we're going to figure out what the people want. And that's what we're going to give them. Now, can you imagine me as a dad going to my 11 kids at home and saying, guys, I need to plan the meals for the next month. And so I need to figure out what do you guys want? Well, if, if I did that, here, here's what would take place. We would eat a lot of McDonald's, we'd have a lot of pizza, and there'd be a lot of ice cream. And, uh, and, and here, here's what would happen. Although they might like that, I would be raising some, some very uh, malnourished children. So I, as the parent, don't go to them saying, this is what, you know, what do you want? I go and I say, this is what you need. And so we do this. We know that it's very popular in church world today to say, what do they want? We're just going to give them that. But I emphatically believe, <laughs> I emphatically believe that this is what you need. This is what you need. So I also understand something about our methodology. And, it's, and Paul warned us about this. He says this there on your outline. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. So the idea is not everybody's going to want to do what we do. You know, we all want to hear about being successful in positive relationships and how to get rich and all those things. We all want to know that. But uh, that's not all. That's, it's, it's great. That's like ice cream. But, but this is what we need. Yesterday, we have one of our kids who's playing flag football here in town. And uh, Cheryl turns to one of the families and says, well, you know, do you guys go to church anywhere? And they said, well, you know, we, go, we try. We're looking. This other. And, and uh, they said, where do you go? Said to Cheryl. So she says, well, I, I go to Calvary out, out there, you know, with public... <laughs> And the lady goes, the lady goes, it's so great. She doesn't tell him that she's the pastor's wife. She, the lady goes, you know, we went to that church. And she said, we, we like the Bible study, but, um, you know, I just feel that Sunday morning needs to be inspirational. You know, you got to get people, you know, excited and, and happy and charged up for the week. And if they want to do like Bible study, that should be on Wednesday night, you know, something like that. And she says, and I don't think the pastor gets it there. And Cheryl... <laughs> And Cheryl says, you know what? He doesn't. I, you know, he does not get that at all. I never thought it. He does not get that. So we get that not everybody's going to dig what we do. But you're here, and I'm glad you're here, and we're going to keep doing this. So, All right, so here's the part that we really need to talk about, and this is why we teach the Bible. Here we go. The context, and I want you to write this down, is building the church. Context is building the church. If we miss this, we're going to miss the whole point. Paul's talking to leaders. Here's what I did. I laid a foundation. On and on and on. I'm going to start in verse 9. Let me just read it again. For we, the pastors, are God's fellow workers. You, the congregation, are God's field, God's building. According to the grace which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And we know that that foundation was he taught the word of God. And another is building on it. And that one who's building on it now isn't doing what Paul did. So Paul says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. As you build the church, there's lots of freedom, but be careful, be careful. 
Verse 11, he says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's the foundation. If it's some other foundation, it's not church and it's not God. Now, so verse 12 and 13, here's the part. Talking about the church, talking about building the church, speaking to the pastors, uh, laying the foundation. Now he goes on and he carries the thought and he says, Now if any man builds... On the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work, I want you to underline each man's work, will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work, each man's work. So if any man, speaking again to the pastors, uh, who builds on this foundation, Christ is the foundation, and the context is building the church. You can build on the foundation however you want to build. Uh, and some, as they build on this foundation, as speaking to the pastors, we're going to find that some of them will build with gold and silver, and some are going to build with wood and, wood and hay. And as a pastor, you have lots of freedom to build on the foundation and, uh, but at the end, as a pastor, the work is going to be tested. It's going to be revealed. And the test will reveal what I've really built with. Was it really gold, which endures, or silver that's, that endures, or just wood and hay and things that just, just burn up? And, and you know, that, that, that sermon that I gave that one time, was that really for the congregation? Was I, was I aiming that? Was I pointing that at a certain person in the congregation? Which I never do, by the way. But, it, you know, but that's happened at, at times. Or, or when I made that decision, was that to serve me? Was that to serve the congregation? All of those things go in, all the motives and all that, and it's just tied. It's just like being put in the fire, and then whatever's left, well, that's, that's what's, what's left. And whatever isn't of value, that's just kind of burned up. So I, I need to say this, and, and I want to say this with, with lots of grace and compassion, and, uh, but here, here we go. The context is the pastor building the church, and there on your outline, the context is not purgatory. How many of you have ever heard of the concept of Purgatory. Okay, we would be very, very different in our understanding of what, what, uh, how that all works out as far as salvation and what this passage is actually talking about. This is, um, as has been explained to me by Catholic priests and, and other Catholics, but mainly Catholic priests, the main place in the Bible that our friends, the Catholics, will point to and who believe in the concept of purgatory. Purgatory is the teaching that, yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but you have to be made perfect. And uh, you have to be made perfect before ending up in heaven. And so you spend a certain amount of time in the fire being purified. It's not that you're paying for your sins, but you're being purified and until something happens and you get out. And again, this was explained to me a number of times through the years, but, but uh, one, one very, very specifically by a Catholic priest. And the Catholic priest said, it's like this. You know, Jesus did his part, but now you got to do your part. You know, he died on the cross, but you got to do your part. We would be very, very different than our Catholic friends on, on this particular idea. This particular passage is completely talking about a pastor who's building the church. A pastor who's building the church. It's not talking about purgatory. So in verse 13, again speaking to the pastor, he says, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it's revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Um, Paul, I believe, 
as he wrote this, or the Holy Spirit as he wrote this, anticipated that some would take this and they would change what he's saying. So Paul's going to be very emphatic. He's going to lay it out to make sure that we don't miss it. So in verse 15, he's, he's going to go to great lengths to say this. He says, if any man's work, and I want you to understand that any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as, as through fire. So we notice a couple of things here. Again, I keep coming back to it's talking about the pastor building the church. But uh, let's just look at a couple of things. We notice that in verse 15, he says, if any man's work is burned up. So it's not the man. uh, The works are burned up, not the person. You want to write that down. The works are burned up, not the person. This is a very interesting word also when it says burned up, burned up. There on your outline, you'll see it doesn't mean purification in any way. This word means to burn down to the ground or to consume wholly. So when you throw a piece of wood in the fire, uh, that wood is consumed completely. It's not speaking about being burned up in the sense that it's, it's um, purified. So it's not speaking about that at all. The teaching of purgatory holds that you're going to have to suffer in order to obtain that purification. And uh, I want you to notice in verse 15, he says, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And I want you to make sure you underline that but he himself will be saved so as, as yet through the fire. So it doesn't say that he suffers, it says that he suffers loss. And you want to write that down. So my works are separate from me. It's not that I go into the fire, but it's like he takes all my works and they put them in and whatever's left, that's, that's, what, that's my reward. We'll look at that in just a moment. In, uh, in our family, we live out in Jupiter Farms and we live in a wood frame home. So uh, if we were to go home today and our house is burned down, we would suffer great loss. You know, we have all those pictures, we have all those memories, we have all that stuff. We would suffer loss, but we personally wouldn't suffer. It's not like we got burned up in the building. Does that make sense? So suffering loss and suffering are two very, very different things. So here, Paul is teaching that as a pastor builds the church, how you build the church, you be careful how you build the church, but those works, those motives and all, what's going to happen is you have, some are building with valuable things like gold and silver, he would say, and some are building with wood and hay and straw, and those are not really valuable things, and they don't, they don't last. But at the end, what's left, that's going to become your reward. In verse 14, he says, if any man's work, which he has built on, remains, he will receive a reward. I want you to underline that word, reward. So that which was good for us as the pastors, what we did, which was pure in motives and doing it the way God would have us to do, there's going to be a reward for that. Uh, if, if we do things contrary to how God did them, then we're going to suffer loss in the sense that there's going to be a lack of reward. So we love, we love, love, love our Catholic friends, but we're different on this, on this uh, thing. And, and let me just give you a couple of verses. There in your outline it says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If it's a free gift, there's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing I can do to maintain it. If you give me a car, someone to say, well, you got to maintain it. Well, if you give me a car and it's mine and I destroy that car and it breaks down, it's still a car, it's still mine. And so there's nothing that you can do to add to it when God gives you that. 
And then Paul would say, there in your outline, he would say, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer. I want you to underline that word, prefer. Rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Paul tells us that for the believer, when you and I die, when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. There is no intermediate place spoken of in the Bible. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I would go on and I would say, Paul says, we prefer, and uh, hopefully you've underlined that word. If you prefer to get there, if you knew that you had to spend 100 years or 50 years or 10 years or 10 minutes going in the fire, you would not prefer to be there. Agreed? I'd be doing everything I can to stay away from that. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, so with great love, we're just very different than our, our Catholic friends. Can I also say something, and I don't mean in any way to take a shot, um, but, but here's what I've learned, that when you go to a church that teaches other things but does not teach the Bible, you can believe all types of things. If our friends would look at this in its context, they would see very clearly this is talking about a pastor building a church, be careful how you build with it, and it's not talking about you as an individual suffering for your sins or being purified. Does that make sense? Okay, and that's why we go back to the Bible and we explain each and every week uh, and uh, why today I'm probably very, very uh, precise as we go forward. All right, so Paul is talking about building the church and not being purified with fire. Now, speaking uh, on building the church, we go to verse 16, and we still have a few minutes. So he says, do you not know that you are a temple. Now, some of your Bibles are going to say a little bit different. It's speaking about the church, the church at large. And it says you are, in my translation, it says you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Some of your Bibles say it a little bit different. We'll talk about that. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. So here, in my translation, he'll say, you are a temple. How many of your Bibles say, he says, he, you are a temple? Something. Anybody? So there's, I'm the only one. There's one. Okay. Two of us are using the same translation. Good. No, okay, three. This is or another. Yes, I see that hand in the back. So, so here's the idea. He says, you are a temple. The idea is that church collectively, locally, was considered a temple of God, collectively the church at large. Later on we're going to find out that you as an individual are a temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, but here you're, you're like the temple of God, collectively we as a church. And, um, and when he says this, you know, we realize that unlike the, the temple in Jerusalem, we're not a geographical thing, we're a collection, we're, we're a number of people. Together we make up, we'd say, the body of Christ, and we also make up a temple of God. Now, there on your outline, I've put this from the New King James Version. I, I like how it says it in verse 17 in, from, from another translation. I don't think that my translation really cap- captures the heart. If any man defiles the temple of God, my translation I think says destroys, but defiles, and you see that Greek word there, the temple of God, God will destroy him. And uh, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, the word there... And again, I don't think my translation captures what's really going on. The word there, phthereal, hopefully I pronounce that at least within the ballpark, means to pine or waste, underline that, properly uh, to shrivel, underline that, or wither, or to spoil, uh, or to ruin. 
especially figuratively by moral influence, uh, influences to deprave. So remember that this church, this passage is speaking about how a pastor would build the church. So although we're going to talk about you and I as individuals, we're, we're the, the, the temple for the Holy Spirit, right now he's talking about, here we are as, as a church body, and he says, and if anyone, and that one that he keeps talking about is the pastor in the church, and he says, whatever you're doing, you need to be careful how you do it, because if what you're doing causes that church, and uh, again, I like the, the Greek translation, causes that church to shrivel or to wither, God says, that's what I'm going to do to you. So you're going to be very, very careful how you build on that foundation. Does that make sense? Then it goes on very quickly in verse 18. He says, now let let no man deceive himself. Again, he's speaking of the pastor who's building the church. If any man among you thinks that he's wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he might become wise. Now, you'll remember, it was just a couple of weeks ago. Now, when they're reading this, it's five minutes ago, but for you and me, it's a couple of weeks ago. Paul says, so now you're, now you're thinking that you have to have somebody who's educated, you have to have an important person, you have to have, you're no longer trusting that it's God and his word and how he uses very, very common people. So he says, now you think you're wise. Here's what they're doing. We're going to find as we travel through this book, they are now looking to the world thinking, how can we make this thing grow? In our context, it would be, we're going to go find the best business leaders we can, and we're going to say, you come in and teach us how to do church. Or we're going to find the, the best psychologists that we can find, and you come in and teach us how to do relationships. And so he says, if you think you're wise in this world, you need to become foolish. You need to come back to, to what we did in the very beginning. Now, let me just ask you again, does, did that make sense, what I just said? Okay. Uh, verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he's wise in this age... He must become foolish so that he can become wise. There's nothing wiser than building on the foundation with the word of God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men, those those prominent people that you want to bring in because you think if we get these guys in, it's really going to go places. For all things belong to you, whether to Paul or Apollos, again, back to the pastors, whether to Paul or or Apollos or Cephas, that's another word for Peter, or uh, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So the idea is don't go looking in other places for your wisdom, how to build the church, you come right back. And Paul drives the point home, speaking to the pastors. This is how I built the church as the pastor. You guys are doing something else, and you think you're becoming wise, but you're really becoming foolish. So you need to become foolish and come back to the foundation that I laid. Does that make sense? And so, again, as you think about where it is that ultimately you find as your church home, you, you want to make sure that the foundation that's being built is something that's really going to be solid that's going to help you grow and become everything that you need to become in the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer, and let's wrap up. Wrap up. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today and your spirit. And uh, Lord, as we look at this and we see that sadly this, this wonderful church that you loved so much had drifted away from the foundation that Paul laid, uh, looking for the world's wisdom, looking for other wisdom, forgetting that it was Paul laying the foundation and you're the one who caused the growth, 
as you honored what it was that, that uh, you'd called Paul to do. Father, I pray that for each and every one of us, that as we look at this and as we just can consider how we do church, that we be reminded once again that the world's wisdom is very different than your wisdom. That, as we said a few weeks ago, you chose to use a cross. You, you chose to use some people who were just very common. And um, you like to do things so that when it happens and that people look on and they say it has to be the Lord because only God could do that. Father, I pray for each and every one of us today. Lord, if there are those who are here today who have never entered into that relationship with you, that's you today. You have the opportunity to invite Jesus Christ into your life. It's a very simple message. Every one of us needs to have a Savior. We need to be born again, the Bible says. And the way that that happens, God opens our eyes and he says, you need me. And something deep inside of us just knows that we need him. And then we receive him. We invite him to step into our lives. We thank him for the forgiveness of sins that he's given to us. And we begin that relationship with him. We invite him to step in and become our savior. And he says, when you do that, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open your heart to me, I'll come in and I'll never leave. If that's you today and you want to make that decision or you're making that decision today, here's what I want to encourage you. As you invite him in, after the service, we're going to have some prayer partners standing in the front. I'd like you to solidify that decision of following him and inviting him in. And the prayer partners will be standing in the front. They would love to pray with you. Make sure that you've settled that before you leave here today. It's the most important decision of your life. If you have any prayer requests whatsoever, don't leave here today without having those prayed for. Again, there'll be prayer partners in the front. Father, keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.